Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Do you have any really fantastic hold music for your telephone? I wish. Yeah. Coming to you almost live from inside my burgeoning mustache, this is The Unknown Student. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. And this is a kind of a special episode of The Unknown Studio, isn't it, Scott? It sure is. Uh, we decided we wanted to do a little kind of wrap-up of the civic election, but unfortunately our Halloween episode uh, fell immediately after the election finished, so we had to That's put right. it off for a couple weeks, and now we're kind of playing catch-up with that. Yes, and as delicious as catch-up is... What's even more delicious is what took place with the civic election. So we've done a few interviews. Uh, we've spoken with um, Dave Cornway, a local blogger and a pundit, about uh, his thoughts on how the election turned out. Uh, we also spoke with Leanne Brown, the uh, executive assistant to Don Iveson, who's actually leaving her position with the city to pursue new endeavors. And then, Scott, you spoke with a few people as well. I spoke with Jeff Sampsonow, uh, one of the co-producers of the Edmontonians' live-streamed election night coverage. And I also spoke with Kim Cruchel, counselor for Ward 2, who was arguably one of the more embattled incumbents in this previous election. It was a tight race in Ward 2. So uh, this is a little bit of a different format than what we're used to, uh, because right. we usually have an in-studio guest. We don't this time. We're doing it all via the telephone. Even this intro is done via the telephone. Yes, that's how busy Scott and I are. We're incredibly busy and incredibly important men. Right? I'd have to agree. Okay. So without further ado, how about, uh, how about we get into it? Let's do it. In episode seven of our second season, we spoke with Dave Cornway about nomination day at the Edmonton election. Now that the election's over, the results are all in, and we have a new city council that is comprised of some of the same characters we've come to know and love over the last three years. We go back to Dave Cornway to get his opinion on how the election went for Edmonton and what we have to look forward to over the next three years. I wanted to get your thoughts on the results of Edmonton's 2010 election, because I think that there were some things that uh, we were expecting to happen that uh, that didn't happen, uh, and some things that we were not expecting to happen that may have happened. So overall, what were your thoughts on the results of the election? Big surprises or just, just still stay the course kind of thing? Well, I wrote a blog post on the day of the election basically mm -hmm. running through the, some of the hot races, and I think I got four for four in terms of my predictions. So I wasn't too surprised for, in terms of most of the races. Um, I think one of the, I mean, you know, I think Mandel, um, Mandel was widely expected to, to be re-elected as mayor. Um, every incumbent city councillor was re-elected. Yeah. And in the two, uh, two wards where there, were, where there weren't incumbents, so Ward 3, um, Dave Logan won a pretty, pretty tight race. Um, he was, I think he was the favorite. I, I considered him the favorite to win in Ward 3, um, mostly because he was. I knew, I knew who, he was out door knocking um, for a long time, and he, this, this 
second or third time running, so I mean he had the kind of name recognition in that ward, and there wasn't an incumbent running because Councillor Ron Hader retired. Yeah. Um, but that, would, that race was pretty close. I think he got around 29 or 30 percent of the vote, so it was a really close race. Um, and in Ward, what was it, Ward uh, 11, which was the, the ward that was left open after Dave Teal um, retired after, I think, 15 years on city council, mm-hmm. um, that race saw Kerry Diot, a former Edmonton Sun columnist, uh, run for run for election and, and be a, actually be, around, be be elected by a pretty... Uh, a healthy majority, right? Pretty healthy. I, I'm not, was it a majority? I'm not sure. It was a pretty healthy margin. That's you know, right, that. yeah. Yeah, and that, that was... I mean, that was widely expected to be a really close race between three or four candidates, and it turned out to be a, a wash, basically, for Kerry Diot. Do you um, so, I mean, and that conducted, that's probably a result of name recognition and the fact that the guy was out campaigning and door-knocking for the entire summer. Yeah. So, along the lines of name recognition, Scott McKean ran in Ward 7 against uh, Tony Katarina, the incumbent, mm-hmm. um, Do you and, and ultimately lost, uh, I would say by a, a large margin as well. Do you think that if McKean had gotten out earlier than sort of the beginning of September, tail end of August, whenever it was he started campaigning, that he would have taken the ward? I, I, com- I completely believe that he would have had a much better chance. A better of, chance, but you're, you're not prepared to say that it would have been his? Uh, no, not, not necessarily. I think it, it's a... Defeating an incumbent in Edmonton city politics isn't, isn't an, it has been shown isn't an easy thing. It only mm-hmm. happens... I think what two in or one in ten or two in ten, uh, you know, incumbents in the past hundred years have been defeated. Yeah. So it's it's not an easy feat, and but you do it by getting out early and campaigning. So was it po- would it would it have been possible? Absolutely. Um, someone like Scott McKean, with the name recognition he has from you know ten or, tw- or tw- 20, 20, 20 some years working at the Edmonton Journal, mm-hmm. um, you know, recently most recently as a city hall columnist for the Journal. I think he would have had a really good chance had he had he got out of the gates, starting gates early. Um, I think he was definitely handicapped because he started so late in the, in the game. Yeah. Now, um, the beginning of the campaign, or even before the the actual official kickoff after nomination day, um, we had Envision Edmonton out there in the world trying to trying to have their their say in the city center airport issue, and then eventually, in allegedly anyway, supporting other candidates. Um, were you surprised by how much Mayor Mandel was able to take the, the mayor seat again? Or, like, were you expecting that Envision would have had a greater impact? N- not at all. Not at all. Really? I think, I think, I'm, I'm, I, I think my prediction was Mandel would get around between 50 and 60%. I think he got around 54, 55%. Yeah. And I'm not bragging to say, you know, hey, I'm, I was right. <laughs> but, you know, I was right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the... The airport issue was very overplayed. Yeah. Um, I mean, Envision Edmonton did a great job in terms of getting out and, and early in the game and capitalizing on it. And they were, when no one else was talking about the municipal election, when no one else was talking about the issues, when the Cates group was clamping up and not talking about the arena, downtown arena anymore, Envision Edmonton was out talking about the city center airport and, and spewing their conspiracy theories about you know, the, the mayor was in cahoots with so-and-so, or so-and-so city councilor was in cahoots with so-and-so, um, and, you know, having basically a personal battle that's uh, publicized, splashed all over the, the, the front pages of the newspapers between Charles Allard and Steve Mandel. Yeah. And I think that turned off a lot of people. I think that there was there is a core group 
of people in Edmonton who, you know, who, who were never going to vote for Steve Mandel anyway, for any, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. They didn't vote for him in the last election, and they didn't vote for him before. Um, and that's fine. Um, but I really think that the airport issue was overplayed. I think it was, it was localized. Yeah. I think you look in, in for example, wards um, in the northeast, in the, no- in the north central, so Ward 2, for example, Kim Cushell had a really tight race with, with uh, uh, Envision Edmonton-backed candidate uh, Don Koziak, who... Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched the forums, uh, the all-candidates forums online, and it, like, Don Koziak was a severely one-issue candidate. Oh, absolutely. I was like, at that forum, and it was so clear that he hadn't thought about anything else. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, you ask him a question about anything, and he was just clueless yeah. if it didn't have to do with the airport. Um, and I think a lot, I think there's a lot of people who clued into that and, and said, hey, you know what, this, this Envision Edmonton group isn't going uh, to be able to elect candidates in, all these, in every ward. Um, they're running singer. They're running and backing single issue candidates. Um, this isn't healthy for our city. Yeah. This isn't good for our future. You know, if the airport's going to close anyway, what good is a single single issue candidate on council for the next three years? Yeah. Um, it's useless. So, I think it, I think it was localized. I think you look in, in Ward Four, uh, where um, former MLA Dan Bax actually did pretty decent. De- got a decent amount of votes, mm-hmm. um, and he was he was a big pro airport candidate. And he was he was defeated by um, Ed Gibbons, who was reelected. Who actually, interestingly, was also a former MLA for the same riding that Dan Bax later represented. So, it, was there some uh, some um, ego between the two over that ward, or do you uh, know of any animosity between the two of them when they were I, they were former I, MLA? I, I don't know any. I mean, they weren't MLAs at the same time. Yeah. So I don't know any animosity between the two of them. I know there was a weird in like the first or second week of the campaign. There was a shed in Mill Woods that Dan Bax was storing all his campaign signs, and then the shed got burnt down, and Dan Bax effectively pretty much blamed, you know, put the blame on Ed Gibbons' campaign in a media release he sent out. And I was actually kind of shocked that the media didn't pick up on this. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't say it outright, but he, he definitely insinuated that, uh, you know, Ed Gibbons had something to do with, with, uh, with the, you know, arson. Yeah. Which is, you know, just absolutely ridiculous pretty pretty inflammatory if i oh, if i may say <laughs> just you know just silly you yeah. know like, um so that was i mean that was that was something that happened earlier on in the campaign yeah do you um, do you feel as though um the the whole seattle journalist thing with nathan black or grant bristow or whatever the hell his name is this this fabricated journalist who was trying to dig into what Yes for Edmonton was doing, and full disclosure, I was a member of the Yes for Edmonton campaign team, uh, such as it was, but do you think that that really affected David Dorward's uh, votes, or was it just just more ridiculousness from the Envision Edmonton side? I, I, I'm not sure it affected David Dorward's votes. I think it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it got more bizarre as more information came out. I mean, it was, you know, all of a sudden this, this, you know, Seattle journalist who wrote, you know, just created this blog and, you know, went, created this, this fake phone number. You know, it was actually real, but like rerouted through Seattle or something. Yeah. And it turns out that the guy was, you know, really uh, the the campaign manager, the, the petition manager for Envision Edmonton. And then he also used to be a CSIS agent. Like, <laughs> yes, an CSIS mole. Like, yeah. just weird. You know, weird stuff. I mean, it, it, you couldn't write about You couldn't make this stuff up. Yeah. Um, when I spoke with uh, Stephen Mandel at the, uh, at the Rock the Vote event, he told me that this was the most negative municipal campaign or, or any campaign that he's ever been a part of. 
Do you think we're going to see more of this, these kinds of tactics being used in municipal and provincial elections? I hope not. Yeah. I, re I really hope not. There was a, a real level of negativity in this whole municipal election that we haven't seen um, even in, in provincial or even federal elections, at least in Alberta. Yeah. Um, it was just it was a real nasty, negative, um, personal attacks, you know, against the mayor, against certain city councillors that really had no, no reason, there was no reason for it. Yeah. And it, it, it sh I think it showed it didn't, uh, that, that, that those kind of attacks and that kind of negativity didn't resonate with voters. Yeah. It didn't resonate with enough voters to make a difference. There was a lot of discussion of these kinds of tactics in social media, but in, in some ways, I mean, as large as the social media community is in Edmonton, it's a bit of an echo chamber too, I think. Absolutely. And Envision was, uh, if I may editorialize, preaching to the converted with a lot of their messaging. Well, specifically when you think when you look at Twitter, I think the city center airport debate is a really good example of how social media doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think that there was, uh, and, you know, I'm saying this, maybe maybe I'm a little biased when I'm saying this, when I say that, you know, last summer when city council was holding its public hearings, you know, there was this great uprise of, of you know, younger citizens who used social media to, to connect with city council and, and promote the idea that the city center airport line should be redeveloped, and I thought, you know, it was using social media through through the processes that were already that already exist through yeah. the proper channels, mm -hmm. and I think that was really positive because it was, there was a lot of respectful debate. But what happened over the past year is it turned into this nasty echo chamber, where I'm not sure it actually the debate that happened on Twitter or on you know on Facebook or on on the blogs actually changed anybody's mind about the city center airport. I agree with you. It was all just a giant, you know, reaffirming views well, that, are, that were already held and, 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 and perpetuating really bizarre conspiracy theories. And, you know, I mean, I think at one point there was a, 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 an email that was going around accusing Anne McClellan of being involved in it. I mean, <laughs> she, hasn't, she hasn't been, a, been a, a politician for like four or five years. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, you saw some really weird stuff come out and you saw some really nasty sides of different personalities. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do you think that uh, do you think that most candidates were using social media well? Because in some cases, not all, but in some, I really did feel like they were using the tools was just sort of tacked on. Like candidates felt it was something they were supposed to do. I I, I don't I can't. Besides maybe uh, two or three school board races, mm -hmm. the public school board, I don't think any city councillors or any, any, anybody in this election, at least in Edmonton, um, really used social media to, to as, a, as a tool. I think it was a tacked-on thing. It was yeah. one of those things you had to do. I don't think anybody used it effectively. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because you look at you know, how, how much of a contrast there is down in Calgary with how, how Nahid Nenshi's campaign used social media to engage the, you know, the, kind of the hyper-political crowd and mm -hmm. get people out to vote and get people engaged in their campaign. And it, it's, it's a night and day contrast with Edmonton. Definitely. Um, I think that it's very interesting to look at some of the school board races that happen. And I want to just quickly touch on this, because this is something that doesn't usually happen every election. Some of the most exciting and interesting races that happened this election were for the Edmonton Public School Board. Yeah. Um, usually, school boards barely get any media attention. And even in this election, they didn't get as much media attention as I think they deserved. But with the closure of, of, of a number of a number of, of inner city schools and community schools last year, or earlier, for me not last, not last year and earlier this year, mm -hmm. um, you really had this neighborhoods and community groups basically enraged that they weren't being heard or weren't, weren't that their current trustees weren't 
being responsive to to what was uh, you know what basically the community needs. Yeah. So you saw this 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 group of new people running for for um, for Edmonton Public School Board, and you saw some incumbents get defeated. You saw a lot of incumbents simply retire because they didn't want to face the electorate after the the, the decisions they'd made. Sure. So it's, really, so it's really interesting because now on Edmonton Public School Board, you have I think two trustees who are under the age of 30, uh, one who's in their 30s, and and a whole six out of of nine trustees who are new. Mm-hmm. So it's really it's an unprecedented turnover. I think on our, on our public school board. So, and it, I mean, one of the big issues in the campaign was connection to community, being relevant to the, bro- the broader community. Yeah. And I think that's essential for public school boards is to be out there and trustees to be out there and be relevant on not only education issues but issues that are important in their communities. Well, and a lot of the a lot of those education issues, not just the infrastructure ones like school closures, are so closely related to the operations of the city anyway. Absolutely. So I think that's, yeah. it's pretty critical that they work closely together. The yeah, and, you, and, you, and just to, just so I can get, just get in, it was, sure. it was really it was really interesting to see that um, in the midst of the campaign, and may, maybe this was to try to divert attention away from the city center airport issue, which was dominating for the longest time. Yeah. But even Mayor Mandel, in his campaign, used you know basically school boards, well, school or community school neighborhood revitalization or you know school zone revitalization as one of his platform planks in his campaign. So yeah. it, it's, it's really something. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if a mayor in Edmonton, a serious mayoral candidate in Edmonton, has ever really put, you know, working with the school board as a, as a part of their platform. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that appears to be a new new platform piece, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you touched a bit on uh, the Nenshi's campaign in Calgary. Um, to me, that was a surprise, his win. I mean, I wanted the guy to win because he's a, he's an interesting young progressive. Um, and when I my my parents live in Calgary, I'd spoken to my mom about who she was going to vote for and who she thought she would win. She was adamant she wouldn't vote for Barb Higgins because she said she was pretty but not not terribly uh, educated on the issues. She figured Rick McIver was a shoe in. Was what took place in Calgary uh, a huge surprise? Um, well, I think it. I, I think it was if you'd looked at the, if you didn't pay attention to the, the last week of the campaign. Sure. Um, I mean, the start of the campaign, I think uh, Nahid Nenshi's camp was sitting at um, probably 8% of the vote, and then in, in, in a matter of weeks, they were able to double their support to 16 and double their support to, to, to 30 and eventually end up with, with 40% on election night. And I, they were able to create, create momentum, which I think was the biggest, uh, the, well, the, the biggest game changer. Um, Rick McIver, for you know the past year, basically, or two years, or three years, had been campaigning as a city councilor against Dave Ronconier, mm-hmm. campaigning against uh, what arguably is a very dis- was is and was a very dysfunctional city council in Calgary. Um, but as he campaigned against the dysfunctional city council, he also got painted as one of those dis- dysfunctional yeah. city councilors because he was on he was during he was on those councils. Sure. So, and you know, his campaign was very well funded. It used a lot of traditional, um, traditional campaign tactics. They had a lot of uh, conservative party infrastructure, and concerning, I think uh, Jason Kenney, who's the federal minister of immigration, I believe, was, was out campaigning or making phone calls for Rick McIver. They had a lot of conservative support. Um, so yeah, it was it was a surprise to see uh, Nenshi come up the middle um, and, and and win on election night, but. I mean, it was because they were tardives, because they had they were able to engage, you know, a group of people who who weren't necessarily engaged before. Yeah. Do you think that this uh, Nenshi's election, Bill Given uh, winning in a Grand Prairie, 
Um, the mayor of Hinton being reelected, he's a progressive guy. Mayor Mandel being reelected. Does this is this the signal of sh- politics in Alberta shifting? Certainly at the municipal level. Well, I, I think it's important to look beyond those three or four municipalities. I mean, mm-hmm. you had mayoral changes in Strathcona County, a new mayor in Lethbridge, um, a new mayor in Lloydminster, a new mayor in Parkland County. Um, new, well, this is the same mayor reelected in Fort McMurray, but you, you have. A lot of these changes. Our new mayor in Okotoks, the new mayor in Airdrie. Yeah. So you have you have this huge shift. I think in in, in Alberta's ten or twenty largest municipalities, there was something like a fifty percent change in terms of mayors. Wow. And a lot of them were defeated. A lot of them simply retired, and it was new people running. Um, but it, it's very difficult to tell whether whether this is something that you know it's a signal to the you know to the ne- to the next provincial election or anything that will happen in the future. Um, I think that. You know, there was a mood change mm-hmm. in some of these municipalities. You know, it was time for something different. Um, I'd like to believe that it, that it is a sign of, you know, positive change in the future, because I think we need some positive changes in uh, in personalities and in, in governing parties in this province. But, you know, the elections, is, the provincial election is at least two years away, and it's it's a completely different animal. Sure. Once, once you introduce partisan politics, it's... Something different, but if the, if that mood is still there in the electorate, if the mood is there for change, then we might see something. And if, it, if it's able to translate, and if if, uh, if there's another party out there who's able to capitalize on it, then yeah. we could see something. There's potential. Definitely. So one last question, Dave. Um, as an engaged young uh, uh, hack, what are you most looking forward to Edmonton City Council accomplishing over the next three years? Oh wow, that's a that's a good question. There's, when there's, there's a number of things. I mean, it's, it's you know the expansion of the LRT, um, the decision that's going to be made about the downtown arena. Um, mm-hmm. You know whether the Cape Group gets its way and, and gets you know the whatever hundred bajillion dollars that it wants the city to invest <laughs> in, and and the redevelopment of the city center airport. Um, I think that's going to be a really important one. The council needs just needs to see through, and it's not just going to be the next council, this council for the next three years, but it's going to be councils for the next twenty years that are going to have to seriously keep an eye on what's going on with the redevelopment of this land and, and make sure that, that it does happen properly Yeah. Um, and that, it, that, that it's, it's the best for Edmontonians. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. Dave, thanks very much for uh, speaking with the Unknown Studio today. Thanks for having me on, Adam. It's always a pleasure. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out the Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. Now, among one of the more interesting things that occurred this election involved the coverage. Uh, Specifically, the Edmontonian.com decided to try their hand at a live stream election night broadcast through their website. 
Uh, and it was arguably fairly successful. We caught up with one of the co-producers of that endeavor, friend of the show, Jeff Sampsonow, and he told us about the experience. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. That's good to hear. Uh, I imagine that uh, you're partly good because of the tremendous success you enjoyed with your election night coverage. Well, if somebody else says it's a tremendous success, then uh, I will take that. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm sort of over the initial high of it and recovered from the the lack of sleep and the work that went into it. But yeah, every time I'm reminded of it by somebody, I get that nice warm feeling that yes, it it sort of went without too many hitches or any large mistakes, and uh, it was a good time and seemed to work. Now, in the uh, interests of full disclosure, the Unknown Studio was involved in the uh, election night process with the Edmontonian. Uh, Adam Adam was running your election map. I was part of your Edmontonian data center. Yeah, Uh, yes, you were so uh, I, I will say that, that I am perhaps a little biased when I say that it was a tremendous success. But, uh, but I think that it was overall well-received, and uh, I'm under the impression that that has been what you have heard as well. Uh, you may be biased, but you could have also sat there all night and thought it was a tremendous waste of time. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's good that you don't. Now, what, um, sort of, what sort of feedback have you heard? Besides just me saying that it was a tremendous success, I mean. Uh, yes. And, uh, other people have said similar things. Uh, and people that were watching that night, uh, there's a live chat um, that's available through the, uh, the live stream program that we used. So people were, were talking to us about what they were liking, what they were seeing. And, uh, and other people were just happy to have um, a live broadcast of any sort on election night because not all of the television stations did one. Um, and so there's a lack of local news, I guess, that evening, that people really appreciated that through the website and, and online and with everybody like you guys helping out, that we had something to put together. Um, so that's that's been one of the biggest things, is people were just happy to see something. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, a lot of other people said it was fun, and had, they had a good time watching it. Um, we tried to mix in a lot of fun uh, and lighter stuff with this sort of live results and just regular actual information, just because... You know, anybody can kind of find out who's winning or losing now. Um, the data is sort of coming right out of the city and available online. So we wanted to have a little bit of fun while we were kind of updating some of the results as well. And I think, yeah, the people that watched and uh, the people have watched the show since election night or parts of it, they've all said it was uh, a fun time and they really enjoyed what we put together. And, I mean, it was all local. We are talking about local stuff with the election, obviously. And everybody that was involved is doing something like the Edmontonian, whether they've got a website, a blog, radio shows, um, and everything else. It's, it's a, it was a really local product, which I think people appreciated. Now, what kind of inspired you to do this? Well, we had done a couple of live broadcasts um, using Livestream.com, so we knew that sort of the technology was there. And um, uh, myself and uh, my co-founder, Sally, uh, have backgrounds in, in media and news uh, and television, and she especially in television. So messing around with live stream, we got a sense that it was kind of putting sort of a television studio or a, a really stripped-down version of a television studio into people's hands. Um, so we, we ran a couple of shows from our living room uh, previously and figured we could do something a little bit bigger, a little bit more involved um, for election night. Um, and then sort of everything kind of came together and, and people wanted to help out, which was great. 
Now, the the process has been described uh, to me as it was sort of like election night guerrilla journalism. Do you, would you agree with that statement? Was this kind of gritty, hands-on, down-in-the-field, amateur journalism? Yeah, I think there are um, varying definitions or, or slightly different definitions of what guerrilla journalism is and, and what it can involve. But I think, yeah, from that amateur stripped down uh, sort of version or definition of it, I think it very much was. I mean, there's a bunch of people sitting around in a living room uh, broadcasting live to the Internet. And, uh, you know, we had some pre-packed stuff that we kind of just filmed on, on handhelds and, and everything, you know, didn't work perfectly. Uh, but it was the information that you could have got anywhere else. It was the information that people could have got by watching television broadcasts or listening to radio or checking other sort of websites as the results came in. And then the information, whether um, stuff that we were doing for fun uh, and the lighter stuff or some of the more actual informational stuff, um, it was, again, it was very amateur and we kind of threw it together, but it was professional in the sense that, yeah, it's the same as other journalism outlets. So it, it is that guerrilla style, that very amateur style that I think going back to sort of the idea of the inspiration of it, too, was that, you know, wanted to take away that excuse that television stations especially um, because we're doing video. But there's no excuse for you not to be doing local. There's no excuse for people not to be doing this kind of stuff because the technology is so simple now and it, it could put it into your hands that, yeah, here we are shooting sort of a guerrilla election show from our living room. So why aren't, you know, all the TV stations doing a show that night? And that was kind of one of the criticisms is that there wasn't a tremendous amount of local coverage of what is what was rather arguably uh, the biggest news night of the year in Edmonton. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, there might be a provincial election that comes along or a federal election, but on a very local scale, yeah, every three years, this is your biggest local uh, day. I mean, other things could happen along the way that, you know, are unpredicted. Uh, but, you know, of a set every three years, you know, it's coming kind of news event. Yeah, it's the biggest one that happens locally and that people aren't there doing something live when, you know, that's what they kind of do on a regular basis, it is disappointing. And that was certainly, I think, why people enjoyed what we were doing, and they were happy to see somebody, I don't know, in some way step in to fill that role. And I guess there's a bit of that just to say, like, yeah, the technology is pretty simple and we can do it, um, and we come, you know, with a lot of background and experience, professionalism to do it. Um, so I think that that was something that people liked. Now, Obviously, this was kind of a, a trial run for, for future endeavors like this. What, would you say that it was successful enough that you would do something like this again? Yeah, I think we did a couple of shows sort of over the summer um, to kind of get, get a handle on the, uh, the technology. And, um, yeah, I think that this was uh, quite successful both um, in execution and sort of now that people have watched it, what they thought of it, uh, that it was sort of, you know, appreciated uh, more often than not. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the groundwork is there if we wanted to do more, and we certainly have more ideas. Um, and, you know, I kind of made a somewhat tongue-in-cheek post uh, the weekend before the election offering our show up to the television stations that didn't want to or, or weren't going to have any uh, coverage of their own. So, I mean, I think that, that that sort of offer still stands, I guess, in some way. If there's an opportunity to make this uh, a bigger deal than our website, I, I think I'd be open to that. Um, connecting to somebody who, who's savvy enough. But, I mean, I think it also exists in the sense that because it's, it's fairly simple and easy, 
and and so the expertise is around that. Yeah, I think we could certainly look to do more of this uh, in the future. And I think that um, its professionalism and and the execution of it would get better as it has sort of has with our our live shows. This sort of being the big third one. Um, and I think more people would would find it online because that's the great thing about you know 100 people at a time or 200 people watching it is that they have to really seek it out. They can't just turn the TV on and find it. So I think that continuing to do this kind of stuff, people would continue to seek it out and find it and, and make it more of a regular part of, of what they were viewing and, and in terms of their news consumption. And I suppose that this is a good time to invite you to plug Saturday Night Samsono, which is the uh, the other show you have alluded to a few times. Yes, Saturday Night with Samsono was the, the first sort of idea, sort of a talk show that we did a couple of times. Um, and in its own way, I guess both uh, both of those episodes kind of helped us work some of the bugs out for the election show. There were still bugs in that, but not as many as, you know, we go back to the, the July show that we did where we kind of did the first minute or two without any sound. Uh, so yeah, that certainly helped, and uh, it's certainly another kind of property or idea that that we're interested in. Right on. Well, uh, thanks for taking a couple minutes to talk with me about uh, about the election show. Hey, anytime. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Unknown Studio, and we're a big fan of the Edmontonians. So uh, I guess that makes us just shameless shills for one another. Yay. <laughs> In the wake of the 2010 municipal election in Edmonton, I decided to speak to Don Iveson's EA, Leanne Brown, about what her experience was like over the last three years helping Don to manage his office. She's moving on. She's going to embark on some new wild adventure. And uh, we caught up with her to find out what her experience was like working for a city councillor. So I want to back up because I want I to talk about how you even came to be Don's EA. So, just to give some context, you're, you've been Don's EA for three years, and he just won an election by a landslide. Is it fair to say landslide, do you think? Uh, 76%, I think so. That's, that's I would landslide. say so. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think landslide is two-thirds or something like that. And, uh, okay, even before we say that, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Uh, well, I'm Leanne. I guess I'm defined in this interview as Don's executive assistant. Um, but you're leaving. But I'm leaving, yeah, and now I'm going off to do who knows what. You I'll figure that out. You haven't decided yet? No, I haven't decided yet. Um, I'm looking forward, actually, to not really doing anything, or not that I won't do anything, but sort of uh, choosing to step back. It's felt for three years like um, a lot of decisions have been sort of made for me in terms of what I'm getting involved in because work takes up a lot and things associated, things that I am thrilled to have had the opportunity to be involved with because of being Don's assistant, but I also feel like I haven't, all of my sort of uh, volunteer uh, things that I've been doing are things I've sort of fell into or got pushed into or, or someone said, oh hey city. man, you'd be good at this, yeah. do this, um, rather than me, you know, sitting down and saying, what would I like to contribute? What, what area needs someone like me or where could I do some good? What really are my passions and my interests. Um, I mean, I think I have a decent handle on what my passions and my interests are, but uh, I still think that I haven't really been uh, the biggest factor behind the decisions I've made, so I'm looking forward to, to doing some volunteer work and, and things like that, that where I decide to go rather than someone grabbing yeah, me and saying, you should do this. Enough. 
so, so it'll be kind of cool. So you're moving on, but let's go back to three years, three plus years a week or whatever. Yeah. Um, you became involved as as Don's yeah. campaign manager. I was his deputy campaign manager. Okay. Chris was still the campaign manager. Chris right Henderson. Yep, Chris right. Henderson, and uh, yeah, basically Don, uh, Don, Chris, and Dan, Dan Lazen, my partner, um, uh, all had a meeting when Dawn sort of said, hey, I'm thinking about running for city councillor. And I kind of tagged along, was like, well, I'm still, I was still finishing my degree at that point, and I tagged along and was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Hey, maybe I'll go and see if I can maybe help out somewhere. And ended up, uh, uh, Chris sort of said, hey, why don't you be the deputy campaign manager? And, and he didn't really have any specific uh, notion of what that would mean, but we sort of did it together. <laughs> we figured out what that meant. And it meant us for the personnel person a lot of the time. I, I, like the volunteer I, coordinator. Yeah, I did all the volunteer stuff. Um, but it wasn't, but it was a strange thing because although I was the volunteer coordinator, I think if I was sort of just the volunteer coordinator, it wouldn't have been as successful. But because I was involved in everything and all the decisions, I was able to uh, be pretty efficient in the volunteer management because I knew everything that was going on and right. I knew, and I was able to, to guide that just a little better and I think that's really that's the same thing that we did this time around too was I'm the deputy campaign manager and I do all the volunteer coordination and, and then, so I'm able to answer everyone's questions and fit them in, in the best possible way and, and educate them about the best way to make voter contact and, and all that so I can do all of that right? yeah, yeah. Just, yeah and so so you you basically had this role you were intimate uh, with the details of what Don stood mm. for yep and it, was it a and natural slide into yep. the EA position? I guess it was. Yeah, it was. It was actually kind of strange. Um, it wasn't something I'd necessarily thought I would do, but Dan had sort of talked to Dom. Was like, "Oh, hey, if you become a counselor, at Leanne should be your assistant." And I remember Dan came home one day and was like, "Yeah, I talked to Don about that, and he thinks that'd be a good idea." I was like, "Oh." Well, I'd have to think about it. So That's your partner kind of plan, weird. Plan yeah, he, he, he pretty much did. <laughs> or it's not that he planned it, but he kind of planted that idea in Don's and my head, and uh, it seemed like a good idea. Um, and then you know, Don and I sort of talked about it. But it was always we really didn't want to talk about it. Just like anything uh, that was planning, sort of post, it was you know, you don't want to jinx it. You don't sure. want to. And I also didn't like the idea, and I really wasn't ever doing the work I was doing on the campaign to get a job. I was doing it because it was really exciting and it was the right thing to do and I wanted Don to win and I believed that he should be a good city councillor. So I really didn't, in my mind, I didn't want to go there really with that. It was kind of a cool idea but it was never something that motivated me and I never wanted to let it motivate me because I felt like that would be a kind of selfish... I mean, you, were, you weren't in it for a job. No, I wasn't. Right. I really wasn't and, uh, and I think that that was important at least to me. Um, I doubt anyone would ever really judge me for doing that, but I, it was important to me. And it was, uh, that was part of our philosophy, is always act like you're way behind and never assume you're going to get it. Yeah. And and so I never let myself mentally go to the point uh, before the election actually happened where I thought, oh, yeah, what would that actually be like, being Don's assistant and working in City Hall and doing this and that? Um, so then when he did win, uh, and that night he's like, oh, yeah, hey, so uh, you still want to be my assistant? I sort of almost, my reaction was, oh, right, great. <laughs> yeah, because I just kind of wanted to go home and sleep for like three days. <laughs> yeah. That night was so strange. It was so fantastic, but we were all so exhausted. And I remember all the media were suddenly calling my phone because I was the media contact. 
and uh, I ended up giving it to Dave Cornoyer to deal with because I knew he would sort of had the energy to deal with it. Yeah. Because uh, I was like, oh, I don't want to talk to people right now. I just want to go sleep in the corner. I'm really happy. But, <laughs> but still. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the next day, uh, I guess Don went into City Hall and they started to say, oh, you need an assistant. You need to get set up immediately. And it's all really a whirlwind thing. And, and having been inside this time around, seeing how... Um, the sort of administrative staff try to deal with that turnover. They really try to get people in fast because they're immediately going into um, budget meetings mm. almost immediately. Which so the seems, new accounts does that not seem absurd? Oh, it does. But it's just that's when they have to have oh, their budget because they have to have it before the province has theirs. So uh, three years you did this job, and obviously I'm sure you had some tremendous and some terrible experiences. What do you think you're going to miss the most about working at City Hall? Not an easy question. No. Um, or what are a few of the things? A few of the things. You know what? It's going to sound ridiculous, but I really am going to miss not... I never was a big fan of the constituency work because it was so hit and miss. Sometimes you'd end up uh, chatting with people who were really phenomenal, um, but it usually took a really significant amount of patience. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a significant amount of patience because usually people are coming to you when they're sort of at the end of their rope. They've been frustrated, they've, you know, tried to get something fixed and been thwarted or, you know, been confused about something and didn't know where to go and so they're coming to you when they're frustrated. So usually you have to um, get them back to the point of reasonableness again before you can talk to them and I, I found that tough but I will actually miss some of the weird stories and some of the strange and hilarious things that end up happening. Sure. Like, like the... You know, at the time, you're hating having these conversations, but then you get home from work and you have this hilarious story of some very weird conversation that you've had with someone. Or, you know, like a little old lady once called our office and complained to me that uh, the library didn't have this book that she really wanted. (laughs) You know, like just some of these things are so, like, really? You're calling? And, like, my uh, uh, our research assistant, uh, Dan, uh, who helped me with the constituency stuff, got this call from this gentleman who wanted to complain that he'd been to <laughs> Denny's and at Denny's he'd ordered um, what was it he'd ordered the chopped steak and he'd been he'd given sausage instead and he was calling our office the city council's office city to complain about being given the wrong order at Denny's and, and Dan was just sort of like um well did you tell the waitress that you got the wrong food and he's like well yes I did but I just thought maybe this was like a health and safety kind of thing and, and I just like, end up with the odd very very strange story like that which I'll I'll actually kind of miss even yeah. though I, I won't miss the experiences because at the time you're banging your head against the wall but the stories like some just having something funny always to tell people if you can divorce yourself from the aggravation of it sure well, that must be frustrating for something that, something like that to take up time in your day. Right? Exactly, when you think that... There are more pressing There issues. are more pressing issues. And, but you know what, That's if that's what's important to people, that's also something you have to sort of get over, too, to a certain degree, is that you think this is important, this person thinks that, you know, the pothole at the end of their alley is a huge deal. Yeah, And it's, it's driving them nuts, yeah. you know? And they've been frustrated because they've called the roadways department and they haven't heard back for three weeks and you know they said they were sending someone but then it looked like 
they didn't get the right one or you know whatever and, yeah. and unfortunately that stuff matters but there are a few types of complaints that I would just don't have the time for and I, I never like really complain complaints about sort of weeds and things like that like I understand you know a terrible thistle infestation or something like that but not uh, sort of the cosmetic yeah like it is if this is really the worst thing that's happening you to you like come yeah. on Denny's and people, well, your and day. people used to say seriously with I, I've had a few people who would say um, with respect either to weeds a couple of times and then to um constructions and whatever that this looks like a third world country really yeah i've had that that exact phrase at least 10 times people said that to me and you just think <laughs> that is so insulting on so many levels yeah yeah um and, and i don't tongue, yeah right? i don't have a lot of patience for that so what, what's what about the personalities in city hall i mean i mean we get to see as yeah. the public the sort of outward facing stuff where you know counselors are arguing with each other and yeah. I mean generally speaking do they they must treat each other like human beings absolutely yeah. absolutely I would say well the way our hallway works um, uh, essentially everyone's office is together I don't know how it works every counselor is on levels of government but yeah we're all um, we have there's the, the office of the mayor and the office of the counselors and the counselors have a sort of front desk and some administrative assistants who sort of keep things all happening up front and people come away for their meetings out there and then there's the hallway that you go down and and uh, there are 12 offices each with a smaller office for the ea right on the side and so everyone's in the same physical area and i think that that um that forces everyone to kind of get along you know you all sort of end up seeing each other over the coffee and the, you know in the kitchen and um yeah it's it's a very you're sort of forced into these are my colleagues not just when I'm in a council meeting yeah. and in some of the briefings that we're all going to but in terms of you know our physical space we're always around and and you learn more personal things about people by being so near their office you know sure you learn that you know they you both really are into espresso or something like that and so that's something to talk about and yeah. I'd say that I mean I know I've heard tales from before this last council where people really didn't get along though and, and there would be there's more significant awkwardness and nastiness. I think this last council really, in the hallway anyway, got along very well. Even there was only the odd time, like, around budgets, sometimes people's sure. feelings would get hurt. There was never any, you know, no one fights, no one yells at each other. But it's more just, like, people anywhere. ignore it. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, um, even with, with, you know, conflicting characters like Tony Katarina, Absolutely. Really? Yeah, yeah, even, yeah, absolutely, even with Tony. Really, Tony's an incredibly nice man. Uh... And while politically I think I disagree with him, and certainly Don tends to disagree with him more often than not, um, very welcoming guy. You know, he's he a sort good, of, he's a good the way he, he runs his, his office, it's very, you know, he always has, he has food and drink, and like, he's, he's very, he's a good host. Yeah. Yeah, he does yeah. that really well. And he's just a very, very nice man, and you can't... You can argue with him in chambers. Yeah, and especially but... as an EA, too, like, from my experience, we all... Even though we work for uh, people who are different politically, we all absolutely get along. Um, and I think that's important. Well, okay, I'll speak for myself. I get <laughs> along with everyone. Sure. And uh, I think it's really important to, no matter what 
every EA's political stripes. Because um, some of them agree with their counselors, some of them don't. That's the other thing, too, that we all need to work together. And uh, I'm friendly with everyone. I mean, they're all really professional, really lovely, really, really lovely people. And that, to answer that question from before, I think probably the biggest thing I'll miss will really be just the camaraderie of, uh, you know, this weird job that we're all in. And it's always different. And, you know, I'll miss walking down the hallway and talking, at, well, actually, to Marilyn, who's going to be Don's new assistant now, and I'll still get to talk to her whenever I want, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, but I used to go down and, and talk to her when I had a particularly troubling constituent. And, and I mean troubling, like, emotionally troubling, where, because you end up with some people who will call you who are clearly quite severely mentally ill, and, you know, you're not given any training on how to deal with this. Like, this person needs help. I'm not in any position to, to help them. And I'm not in a position even really often, I feel, I would try to refer them maybe to someone. But if they're not going for it, I mean, you can, I can't diagnose what the problem is. And a lot of the time they're insulted that you would even suggest that, you know, like people who had genuine delusions. Of like, like this one woman who called me, I almost always feel terrible about her. She, she believed that this... Um, one of her neighbors was doing this really loud thing at night, I won't get into the details, but she, and she called bylaw and the police multiple times and they'd come out, but nothing was happening and it really, it was something that she was hearing. Yeah. And I just was so bad for her and so it was the, the support of my fellow assistants was so important at those points because I would just think like, did I do the right thing, you know, should I be trying to help or how could I... You know, where we all sort of talk about how powerless we feel in some of these situations, and uh, I, I'll i miss that, Yeah, for so sure. what would be a piece of advice you'd give to someone like yourself coming into the position sort of fresh, not having had any experience at all? Tough question. Tough I'm, question I'm again. Yeah, you're ones. good at those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's taking a sip of beer. <laughs> really trying to sort this one out. I don't know if I could come up with one piece of advice. I guess I would like to just... Uh, I would want to talk with them about what their expectations are about the job and maybe give them a dose of reality. That said, I think it's a really tough thing to give advice on because every counselor works completely differently with their assistant. Of course. And so, you know, for someone going to work with Dawn, I could give them specific advice, but for someone else, I don't know what their needs would be. Mm-hmm. I guess in terms of the overall environment, probably the best advice I could say would just be, don't ever um, be kind to everyone. Because you never know, you know, and this sounds selfish, but you never know when you'll need them. Yeah. And you don't ever want to be caught being that person who's represented themselves rudely and I mean to, to to you know your colleagues to the administration to everyone you speak with on the phone you want to be you know and everyone you interact with through email through letters through everything be be kind to people and I think try you know the health healthy level of skepticism but also don't assume the worst about people sure yeah. um I think that's the most important. I mean, and it sounds because you're always representing your boss, I, and I think that's uh, that isn't natural. I think to all people, but you're not you, and that, and I think that's one of the reasons that I, I kind of want to move on. It's because I want to be me, Leanne Brown, not 
uh, Leanne, de facto Don Iveson. You're Don. And Don Iveson's assistant. You don't want to be a proxy anymore. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to always be. I don't want to have to think. You know, oh, I said, you know, I accidentally swore while I was on the phone. Great night now. That well, not that. I mean, stu- stuff like that. You know, yet. not that stuff like that really happens. But um, I'm always every single thing I say, even if it's a joke, is something that reflects on Don. Yeah. And that is, uh, and so that's why it's so important to just be, be kind, and be polite to absolutely everyone, because so, you don't want to burn any bridge for a boss because no. they need everyone. Yeah. So uh, where do you go from here? What, what comes next for someone who spent three years in the political arena? Will you stay involved in politics? In oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure I will. Yes. Um, but like I was saying earlier. Um, I think I'd like to be a bit more deliberate about my choices in terms of what I want to do politically. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly want to stay involved in city politics. I think it's the coolest of all of them. It's the place where we can really... Well, I've said that you feel sort of powerless. I think it's also the place where you have uh, the power for... quick Quicker change, I think, is possible yeah. in the... Well, and, the city and arena? Things that happen at the municipal level are more impactful on someone's day-to-day life than decisions made at the provincial and federal uh, I don't know about that, actually. I, I really think, think, so? I think there's there are tons of things that the provincial and federal governments do that impacts their day-to-day life, but they're not nearly as accessible. I guess that's what it We're is. We're accessible. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. There because are, if you there have are a lot a... of times where, as any I've had to say, sorry, like, I cannot do a thing about that. You would think that that would be a city thing. It's not. It's provincial. It's a federal thing. We can't help you. Um, but, but, uh, where was I going with this? What were we talking about? You're talking about what, what comes next. Yes, what comes next. Um, well, I haven't decided. I wish I could tell you a good, uh, a good one. Are you going to take time off for I am going to take, yeah, a little while. And then, uh, you know, maybe I'll visit some friends in Toronto or something like that. Cool. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been thinking about starting something on my own. Uh, I don't want to rush into anything right away just because I don't want to be scared that I don't have a job and immediately zoom into something, but I think there are a lot of, you know, I already had like a few people suggesting things for me and and making sort of offers and suggestions. So I I know that when I really, when I want to to get something, if I ever get to a point where I need something, I know I'll have it. So I'm I'm not worried about that, but I want to take a look for myself and kind of not let well because it's like what we were saying with in a weird way Dan kind of getting me into being an EA not that he did you know of course it was my choice but I do feel like I've sort of fallen into a lot in my life and I'd like to and it's been wonderful it's been I'm so lucky to have had those opportunities but I'm looking forward to choosing my next job for myself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that'll maybe it'll be something that is driven by me. I mean, that's terrifying to think of starting your own business or something like that. But I. Uh, but and I don't way, know that I will. But. but in maybe a way, you sort of did that with Don. Yeah. I mean, the 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 his True. office was something that you collaborated with a bunch of people on creating. True. And True. Yeah, you had to work within the structure of, of municipal governance, but. Yeah. It's. I. Th- I really do believe. I'm not trying yeah. to 
you know, suck up or anything, but I think that you did something entrepreneurial there. Thanks. Yeah. That's a, no, I like that. It's a good way of thinking about it. So you can tell that to the next interview. Yeah, exactly. I've basically run my own business. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) At least I know I have a good idea of how hard it is to start your own business, like start your own restaurant in the city. That's an issue that I'd like to see. Certainly the next council and the provincial government collaborate on how to how to make it easier to be a, a local business in, in our yeah. city. Yeah, and this month is a shop local it's month, true. so support your local business. Good businesses. thing to be thinking about. Leanne, thanks for uh, chatting with us today. It was great to, great to chew the fat with you. <laughs> thanks, Adam. Best of luck uh, in your next job. It's the League of Extraordinary Media, theedmontonian.com. TrueBrittle.com, The Unknown Studio, user-created content. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a guarantee of quality Edmonton-based online content. If you're interested in joining or would like more information, visit LeagueOfExtraordinaryMedia.com. Now, of all the people who were incumbents this past election, the one who was the most embattled could arguably be Ward 2 incumbent Kim Cruchel. Uh, that is the ward which contained the city centre airport, and Kim Cruchel came under a lot of fire for her support for closing it down. Now, she had a great deal of adversity going into the election and did manage to win back her seat, and we caught up with her post-election to ask how things went and where she was going from here. All right, so how are you doing today? Well, today has been a, a bit of a disappointing day just because of the whole indie issue, but otherwise I'm doing really well. Yes, uh, for, I suppose, our listeners, because this will be uh, aired a little later in the week, today, the day I'm talking to you, is the day that the uh, the decision was made for the Edmonton Indy race to not be renewed with the city. Yeah, basically, negotiations stalled between the city of Edmonton and Octane, and it, it came down to money. And so council had given the go-ahead for a maximum, and I had actually voted against it just because of all the losses we'd already had, uh, for a $5.5 million over three-year deal. Octane basically looked at the numbers from North Lands and did another look and realized that wasn't going to work, so they wanted... Uh, more money, which I can understand. Both parties were trying to do their best, and I think there was some miscommunication on numbers, and unfortunately, a deal just wasn't, you know, able to happen. No. So that's where we're at today, and I think the challenge for our citizens, we did find out the big bombshell for me as a city council was I've been waiting to hear what the end result was for the 2010 race, what our potential losses would be, and that they were more than I was expecting. So that was also... You know, unfortunately, because so we've lost so far 9.2 plus an additional estimated 3 million. So we've already taken a hit of 12 points. Well, significant amount of money. And did the city just can't afford to to foot the bill for that anymore? Well, that was my concern. When I added up Octane's uh, the 5.5 plus an additional 3.2 plus, I think, given the ticket sale concerns, because that's where we've seen the drop in terms of revenues, that. Uh, Going forward, they'd be back even for, for further asks. 
we were looking at 20.9 in total. So we've already lost, you know, a significant amount. Going forward, I just didn't think it made sense to do the 5.5, let alone in another 3.2, which would have made that an eight, you know, an $8.7 million additional ask on top of the almost $13 million in losses we've already sustained. We did everything we could to try to make that Indy work when it was a champ car and then switched out to an Indy, and I, I think that's the challenge is, you know, I don't know what more we could do, and I certainly didn't have a lot of taxpayers telling me that they wanted us to continue to support it. I actually took a lot of flack in stepping up the, when we did make the decision back in 2007. It's uh, it's not that uh, people aren't fans in Edmonton. It's just that we don't particularly want to pay that much for the race to be here. Um, I'm not sure if it's that. Well, certainly we heard from people saying no more tax dollar subsidization. But I think that the challenge was twofold. I think that I think we like novelties. So the first year is when we were doing really well with the Indy. And in fact, if you look at it, the first year we had the economic impact numbers. We also were. Um, in terms of media coverage, it was featured on ESPN, which was a pretty good, you know, marketing opportunity for Edmonton. The last two years of the race, however, you know, it appeared that we weren't doing as well in terms of ticket sales, uh, despite the business community especially stepping up this last year. They really did a good job. Like, suites and, and sponsorship was up. Uh, but I think the challenge is, is that, I suspect, you know, novelty is great. That's why if you look at Champ Car, their first race, the first year they did it, they also did really well. And I think it's a first year, and then, you know, people get used to it, and then they move on to... I think the key was to be able to try to leverage a lot of tourism off the event, and I just... I, I We weren't able to do it, I think, very effectively the last three years, and I didn't see it going forward being able to do much better. Fair enough. Now, the uh, that's a little tangential. Uh, to what I was actually calling about, which was to, to it's still pertinent, it's still interesting, but um, I was actually calling to follow up on, on the election because your ward was very hotly contested because that's where the city center airport is. That is correct. And in the end, you ended up squeaking out a victory. So we, I uh, did. <laughs> we wanted to uh, get your thoughts kind of post-election. Are you a little relieved? Were you Were you worried there in the final hours while the ballots were still being tallied? Well, we had done some of the numbers, and we knew that the back-end polls were from the very northern part of the ward, which is where a lot of young families live. And if you look at the poll results, you'll see that I did really well in those polls. So Greensbaugh, which is a new area, a lot of people my age, right, and younger. Uh, so if you look at the poll results, you'll see it was the middle part of the ward where I didn't do as well. I took the southern part, which was close. And I actually, by one vote, took the Wellington poll, which I thought was really interesting. But um, that's where we saw the change. And I, I think it reflected during the door knocking. I had a lot of seniors who were very nostalgic about the city center report, which I appreciated and respected. And a lot more young people telling me that they thought it had already been shut down from the vote in 95. And there was also a lot of misinformation out there. That was probably the most frustrating experience for me as a city councilor, was the fact that Really, there was so much misinformation, and I put a lot of the factual information onto my website and tried to generate traffic there. I think the challenge I faced is you can't reach every door. People love to say they door knocked every door. Even with the ward being half the size, which also I expected it to be a close race because, you know, as a city councillor, I stepped up and said, we do need to move to 12 wards instead of, you know, two councillors per ward. 
because if we continued with that, we would have had to add a seventh ward, and that would have cost our taxpayers, you know, quite a bit of money, actually, because we'd have to do a bunch of renovations to City Hall to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. So it made more sense to me, both from a representative perspective and that you'd, you know, have more direct understanding of who your, your counselor was. Because even with Ron Hader, we actually worked very well together and put Ward 2 first. But people were often confused as to who their counselors were, you know, or we'd get duplication on a regular basis. So I had stepped up and said, no, we need to do the one counselor for Ward. And I recognized that I wasn't playing it safe. I chose to run in Ward 2. Why? Because I live there. And I, in the controversy with the airport, Envision Edmonton certainly made it a very big issue. And they put like $700,000 into a very big campaign. So there was no question that it was going to be a tough race, and uh, I had the result in the end was sort of what, what I expected, partly because, you know, Shelley Tupper was also on the same side as me on the airport, and she came in third in this election. And good on her. I mean, she's a hard worker. She's very involved in the community league system. Now, I, I think it's fair to say that there were a lot of people, even who may have been detractors of yours because of your decision on the airport, Mm-hmm. That that you were willing to, as it were, put your money where your mouth was, and make your decision and stand by it, and then run in the ward most directly affected by it. That that Five showed a lot of chutzpah, as it were. Well, my concern, you know, it's it's really interesting when I look back on September fifteenth when we had the council meeting where we finally got the petition. You know, I was actually expecting that we would be putting the question on the ballot regarding the city center airport. Uh, but when we found out that the Envision petition did not meet the 60-day uh, requirement, which I'd already figured out, but they said they had a, you know, an understanding legally that they didn't have to meet that requirement, and I'm still not sure of all the parameters around that, but uh, when they didn't meet the signature requirement, that was much more challenging because, you know, what my concern was, was the idea of what's going to happen in the future because if we had set the precedent of putting our own question on the ballot that close to an election even, it wouldn't have been legally binding on the new city council. And really, I was questioning, you know, are we going to show leadership as politicians? Because we did do all the research. We did talk to citizens. We did five days of public hearings in total. And it wasn't like I hadn't researched this, you know, significantly. Plus, talked to lots of people in the ward. So I realized that, you know, if we had set the precedent, I can tell you one thing. The number one issue that I've been dealing with from emails, although it's not necessarily from Edmontonians, is regarding Lucy the Elephant at the Valley Zoo. And Bob Barker came up here. They've already taken us to court more than once. And I think a political action committee, a real political action committee from the U.S. would have been up next, where they don't have to show who their backers are and where they funnel money and influence campaigns. They would have, I think, been the next up. And we would have been dealing with Lucy in a ballot issue because we didn't follow the rules under the Municipal Government Act that were put there by the province. That said, I mean, I do think there's an argument to be made, you know, is the bar set too high? And and that isn't for me to answer. That's more for the provincial government. But it is a question because I know that the province made those changes to the Municipal Government Act regarding petitions and plebiscites in response to a lot of challenges that happened in the past with plebiscites where they took years and, you know, people had to recheck them and they cost a lot of money. I think that's the other issue people don't realize is plebiscites cost us money. Well, that and if you don't have a limit on how long it takes before a plebiscite can come down, a city council is kind of bound by their ability to do anything. Because at any juncture, on any decision, someone could come along and and try to shut it down, and then nothing ever happens. 
Well, and that was, yes, exactly. And that was the other thing that was going through my mind. I mean, I created Next Sense in the city of Edmonton, which is, you know, a committee that we have at the city that's engaging young people from 18 to 40 years old. And I hear from them often. And I was thinking about the future of our city. You know, I think that one of the challenges I hear from young people is they're not interested in running for office because they think that, you know, there's all kinds of negative around politicians. And here I am. I'm not doing this because certainly not doing it for the for the money or for the hours that I put in. And I have a young son and I have a husband. I'm doing this because I really do. I mean, as, as idealistic as that sounds, I really want to try to make a difference and move our city forward so that my son, when he, you know, explores the world, decides to move back to Edmonton when he wants to have children. So I want access to those grandkids. And if he doesn't choose Edmonton, I'm probably going to move where he is. So that's what I was thinking about when I was looking at these decisions. And, and with the, the plebiscite issue, a lot of people thought, well, it would be so easy for you to put it on the ballot. Well, no, it wasn't, because we set the precedent for the future. And then you're right. Where does the buck stop? Is there any accountability with your politicians if we just, you know, constantly pass the buck? And, and so, no, and I didn't play it safe. Well, yeah, and ultimately the accountability comes at election time, because if, if, you're, if your constituents were really... Uh, opposed to you and your decisions, then you would not have a job today. That was it in a nutshell, and that's why I did put myself on the line, and I was very clear and said I was elected to make decisions. This is the work that I did making that decision. If you don't agree, I can understand and respect that. You don't have to vote for me in this election, and I was very clear. I was in the media saying that. It wasn't like I was shied away from this issue. Uh, and the end result was I was successful, although albeit it was a, you know, it was a squeaker. And I'm okay with that. I recognize that I do need to do a lot of work in terms of explaining all the facts around the issue so that people get that information, understand certainly, you know, I wasn't making these decisions lightly on terms of, in terms of just redevelopment. But uh, I do have work to do, and I will do that. And, you know, I think the results reflected. One of the things I thought was interesting was uh, also about the election is people who are motivated on an issue do vote. So I would say that people who were really passionate about keeping the airport open were definitely voting. When you look at the election results overall, especially the mayor's numbers, it shows you that really it was, a, in my opinion, given that the airport was the front and center issue, a vote saying, no, we're going we're gonna to redevelop that land. Now, you brought up uh, NextGen, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually, it seemed to me, and uh, it might be because I'm, I'm kind of plugged into the social media, that there were a lot of young people who were really interested in the outcome of this election because they felt that it really would help uh, kind of set the, uh, the tone and the direction that uh, Edmonton would be moving in the future. Do you think that this election was kind of um, maybe like a, almost a watershed moment for a lot of young people and that this, uh, the outcome of this election might give them more optimism regarding municipal politics and might make them more interested in being involved in their municipal politics? Yeah, actually, I think that there was. I think that that certainly was uh, part of the equation of this election. I heard from a lot of young people saying that they were really impressed, for example, that I stood up on this issue, uh, who were following the airport issue very closely uh, and, and saying, you know, thank you for showing leadership. I had a lot of young people saying that they're thinking about politics in the future. 
there were some negatives, though, too, especially when the back end of that election, when, you know, some of the stuff was coming out about the threats, et cetera. I tried to take the high road throughout. I just didn't want to go down that road. But um, I know that there were some comments I had from young people saying, well, this is so disappointing that this kind of thing can happen, and you need to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. So on the, on the whole, I would say that for the first time, I think a lot of young people did get actively involved. Certainly the social media was very active, and in the future it's going to be even more so. Uh, and the reactions I got from my website were very favorable. And I even did YouTube videos, which a lot of people appreciated. Now, do you, uh, do you see yourself sticking with politics for, uh, for the foreseeable future? I mean, it's obviously really early to talk about next election. <laughs> but uh, has Ward 2, is this it? Has Ward 2 seen the end of you after this? Or are you seriously considering sticking it out and, uh, and being a part of Edmonton's politics into the future? Well, you know what? I've always said three terms is probably good. If you can't get a lot accomplished within three terms, then I'm not sure what it is else you need to do. That said, I'm never going to say for sure what my ultimate decision is because you don't know until you get to closer to that time. I will say this. I don't plan on being a politician for a, year, you know, for a long, long period of time. I, I do have uh, a young son, and interestingly enough, he's going on to the Jasper Mogul ski team, so I, I may have the mother role to play a lot more in the future, and, and that's important too. And there's other things that I'd like to do in my life that are, you know, not necessarily politics. But I have appreciated very much and felt honored to be a counselor and to be involved in making some of what I think were watershed decisions for our city. I mean, we've had a lot of issues that were, you know, in the news for years in the city that weren't being resolved. And a lot of those issues have been resolved. And we have a lot of exciting things happening, I think, in the future in Edmonton. So in the aside, I think there's a lot of positives, and we're about to host Grey Cup shortly. But, I mean, you've got things like Expo 2017. You've got us finally moving forward with, LR with LRT. One thing I heard from a lot of young people was the desire for expansion of LRT. There's a huge demand for that. And demand for infill development instead of continuing to spread the city out. We heard that loud and clear from a lot of young people. So I do think that there's, and I do, I am very excited about the younger generations. I think that there is interest. I think that a lot of them feel that, you know, through NextGen and even through our City of Edmonton Youth Council that they have opportunity to do leadership, to get involved in the city, certainly, and to also consider getting involved provincially and federally. So I'm actually very positive, and I have to say one thing that I've loved about being a counselor are all the council initiatives that we've taken on. You know, Mayor Mandel, whether people are happy or not, he's done a great job of saying, counselors, you need to step up and work and do things. And, you know, NextGen wouldn't exist if the mayor hadn't said, we need counselors to take on issues. And sure, it was my idea, but that was because the mayor said, spread your wings and go do things. So NextGen wouldn't have been there. There's a whole list of initiatives that wouldn't exist today, including Capital City Cleanup, Reach Edmonton, I mean, you name it, a lot of the innovative, exciting things that are happening in Edmonton have been based out of those council initiatives. So you would uh, definitely agree with the point that municipal politics are the, are the politics that are going to affect you the most immediately and the most directly, and that it is in uh, young Edmontonians' best interests to be involved in their municipal politics one way or the other. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with those words because I'll tell you, here's an example, and I have my niece with me today job shadowing me, and one of the questions she asked me was, how does a politician make a difference? Uh, my final story for you today is uh, 
I was one of the counselors when I first got elected. We had ladder trucks, a few of them, which are allowing us to get to fires that are in tall buildings. And we didn't have any staffing for them. I was elected that first year. I was a 7-6 vote, and I was the key vote on getting the staffing for those ladder trucks. A lot of people don't remember, but we had a, we had a fire in the Circle Square Motel. 18 people's lives were saved because we had that staffing in place with that ladder truck. And so you definitely made a difference there. Well, I would say yes. Let's hope that nobody would have died. But, I mean, I heard from the fire guys themselves telling me that made the difference because we would have been in a big bind. Right and we may have seen some deaths. So there's an example, and here's another example. I had an elderly senior in a neighborhood who her basement got flooded. I had EPCOR do a review, and the end result was she got reimbursed. You know, if she didn't have a politician go to bat for her, who knows where that would have ended up. So there are ways where certainly your city councillors can make a difference on a day-to-day basis. And those are the things I really do focus on, is getting out there and talking to constituents and trying to help them solve a lot of, you know, day-to-day problems. That's what my job really entails. It's not the more exciting things every day. Right on. Well, thank you very much for uh, sharing your time with us uh, today. No problem. I enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully your listeners, I'm sure they'll weigh in. So uh, now is actually a good time, via the telephone, mm-hmm. to uh, mention a few a few people who are very special to the Unknown Studio. Yeah, and actually I'm going to mix it up this week, Scott, because, uh, because we usually sort of follow a, a formula when we're talking about our, about our sponsors. But because of the way that we've done this show, and because of the fact that we've decided we wanted to do an election recap show, we, you would normally have heard in this episode uh, Sex Talk with the Traveling Tickle Trunk. They're one of our fantastic sponsors, and they're going to be doing Sex Talk in our next episode. So uh, it's not like you're missing out. We're just deferring the sexy talk for a later time. To to a more appropriate time. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, uh, you know, there weren't any sexy scandals this go-around. So, yeah, so so a great huge thanks to the Traveling Tickle Trunk for always being a tremendous support to us and for uh, for giving us information on on an every-other-week basis about uh, sexy talk in Edmonton. Uh, we should also thank those fabulous and glorious journalists over at the, the Edmonton, Edmonton Journal. Journal. That's right. Those ink-stained wretches have uh, sponsored us since nearly the beginning because they recognize that the Unknown Studio is a fabulous property. And, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't thank Owen Brierley, the Dumbledorean headmaster at Guru Digital Arts College. They treat us pretty well. And they have uh, a fabulous setup, and uh, if you're thinking about pursuing a new career, you certainly couldn't go wrong checking them out. Yeah, they they teach all kinds of fabulous digital design uh, disciplines. And in fact, in coming months, Scott and I will be doing a couple sessions with them on podcasting, if you can believe that. I cannot believe that. That is insane. Neither can I. Uh, And then, of course, for one second, Bacon. Jerry Allenbach. (laughs) Sweet. Now, normally, uh, at this juncture, we'd probably go into the Fast 15, but we don't have a studio guest. That's right. So we, we don't have a Fast 15. But fear not, dear listener, because it will make a triumphant return in our next episode. Boy, will it ever. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be glorious. And one last thing before we go, just wanted to apologize because this podcast is one day late. And I know 
we have a, a ravenous audience that's desperate to hear our glorious voices. Hopefully it was worth it, and yeah. uh, we will, I guess, uh, talk to you again in a few weeks. Perfect. Right on. Yay. That's great. You've been listening to the Unknown Studio, Episode 36, our Edmonton Civic Collection Wrap-Up Special. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. there for i'll be there right when it starts probably for an hour or so yeah. what the hell was that that was my phone receiving an email i see